Hey, Aurora here with Supercharged Science, homeschool science curriculum programs for K through 12. And today we're gonna to touch on a subject that I've been getting a lot of emails for lately, which is my kids are whining and complaining when it comes to homeschooling, not just science. Um, and when I asked the parents, well, how do you handle that? The results were actually really surprising. So I wanted to give you some background on what people are doing, what the results they're seeing, and what the recommendations I have to be able to change your course so it's in the direction that you are more happy with. So my name again is Aurora with Supercharged Science. If you like this and you want more, go to my website, www.superchargedscience.com. And if you go to superchargedscience.com slash easy, like, wow, that was so easy, you'll find you're going to take a lot of the fight and the power struggle out of doing real science and real, um, real education with your kids at home. Okay. So what do you do? Your kids are whining, they're complaining, and you feel like you're ready to rip your hair out. So <laughs> one of the things I was really surprised with is when I was first, um, I was in a group of, it's a large group of homeschoolers, and that was actually, somebody stood up and asked, and like, how do you handle it? I'm actually down to less than two hours of homeschooling a day because it's so aggravating for my kids to be able to do homeschooling with them. So I was really curious. So I said, well, how, do you, how did you handle it? You know, when your kids are coming at you and they're complaining, like what do you do like what what would I see happen and the parents say well usually they whine complain they, they don't want to do their lessons we'll pull out the reading materials they want to read what they want they don't want to read the books I've picked out for them they don't want to do their math lessons um, and so so you get the picture right and they say well what about science usually science is an easy one kids love to build stuff they love to create things and innovate and so I said well how are you handling science and she says oh we dropped that long time ago so I thought about it and I thought, wow, you know, I bet not just her is in the same situation. So I thought about it, I'm like, okay, so I did a survey and I sent it out, about 3,000 parents returned um, their, uh, uh, wrote back and uh, completed the survey. And here's what was really interesting. Um, it turns out that most homeschoolers, the ones that took the survey, most homeschoolers do actually less than two hours um, of science per week and they homeschool between about three to four hours a day, if that, and that's just the average. Um, and so focusing on the science part, because honestly, if you can get that going, the rest is going to be really easy. Um, so then I, I looked even more and I thought, okay, so if these, if we're only doing two hours of homeschooling a day, how, like, what are you doing for the rest of the time? What are the kids, how are they spending their time? And how are they preparing themselves for what's coming up down the road? So I also asked, how many of you have educational goals for your kids? And two people said yes. And only out of those two, only one of them had them written down. So I don't know about you, but it's really hard to hit a moving target. If you don't know where you're going, you're not gonna get there. And as the pilot of this, you know, aircraft called education for your kids, you know, if you if you take off from Los Angeles, how are you gonna hit New York if you're not exactly sure where, how you're gonna get there or even have a dashboard that tells you when you're off course and you need to steer back and get onto course. So I did some more research and actually um, there was a uh, another aspect to this because I've also taught in the university environment. I taught mechanical engineering for a number of years. I remember one of my top complaints about the students coming in is that they were uncomfortable when they got out of textbook land. So they were fine as long as I gave them engineering projects and problems, you know, like if the bridge is here and the angles are here and the forces are there, can you calculate this force? Um, they were fine and they would flip to the back of the book. Oh, I got the right answer. Phew. Okay, next. Um, and so this was a this is a trend that isn't new. This has been going on. So that was like 20 years ago. Um, and so I realized and so I remember one day I got to my class and I said, all right, that's it. Everybody close your books. And they all freaked out. They thought it was a test. 
And it kind of was a test, but not in that sense. And I said, close your books, grab your backpacks, and let's go. We all stood up, walked out, and we walked around the corner, and we got into another building that had an exposed truss. And we had been studying bridges, and it was a civil engineering class I was teaching. And I said, great, I want to hang an engine, an engine. I want to use the truss as a hoist. Is it safe? And they all looked at me and were like, well, we don't know. Why are you asking me? <laughs> it's like, we did this problem on paper last week. So what was really amazing is that the kids didn't have the uh, confidence inside themselves to actually say, hey, wow, this is an interesting question. Okay, I think I can do it. Um, they weren't also not comfortable taking their own measurements. So these are these are college students. These are, this is a college that was rated number two for mechanical engineering in the country. This isn't just some like party school. And so the kids, they had to figure out what to measure, take their own measurements, figure out what the problem was really asking, and then solve it. And then come back and, and make sense of their solution and make sure that they got, you know, the right answer. So this is a problem in, in, in college, but now because of the, um, I can imagine, because of the, the education experiences that these kids are having when they're much younger, it's ingraining these, um, these certain values and these certain ways they have of working through problems and the lack of confidence and all this is getting set up when they're young. So what do you do, right? <laughs> so you don't want to wind up as one. That actually, that class wound up being great. It was, kind, it was a little bit of a roller coaster ride getting them there, but we were able to do it by the end of the, uh, end of the term. Okay, so what can you do today? Well, going using the college example, um, engineering is, it's a skill that you're not just going to see on a college application and go, oh, engineering sounds great. There's like 25 different flavors. I could pick, well, environmental engineering sounds so great. I could save the planet. Oh, what a great major. You, know, you don't want to pick it like that. So if you've got a kid who likes science, um, you actually need to know if they have an engineering mind now, like today, like in young childhood. It's rarely a skill that's just going to pop up when they get into high school. So kids that have engineering minds, these are the kids that are taking things apart. These are ones that are solving household problems. For example, uh, one of the problems, I have three boys in my household and one daughter. And so um, so the toilet seat's always being lit up, uh, always lifted up, right? So these guys have an engineering mind. And next time I went into the bathroom, I was really surprised that there was a laser hanging from the ceiling and a siren in the, in the medicine cabinet. So these guys have a, an innate curiosity. They have um, the ability to see problems and want to problem solve and make it better for everybody else. So they have really unique, unusual sometimes solutions for things. These are the kids that are taking things apart, putting things back together, trying to figure out how they work. They're curious, they're naturally curious. I bought my youngest one an erector set. It was a life-size erector set, like the pieces were enormous. It was all made out of wood. And, he, and you could like build bicycles and scooters with it. But what was really interesting is he only wanted to build and take apart. He didn't want to actually ride the little scooter thing around. And so he's got an engineering mind. So that is something that I see and I want to cultivate. I want to help that develop and grow. And you do that with a couple of easy ways. You provide them with opportunities in the real world that give them this. So if things start to break, hand it to them. <laughs> he's already fixed a toaster and a bread machine and he's six. So that usually they love fixing electronics things. You want to get them a mentor, somebody who's excited. It could be an uncle you have or you know a friend down the street who is an engineer and who is just excited about science and about the world and passionate, and that's the one you want to connect them with. Somebody who's really into radios or someone who's really into uh, you know into car engines. That's um, that's 
that's where you want to be headed with this in early childhood. Okay, so when this kid gets to high school, it's a no-brainer. He's like, yeah, of course. He's the one that everybody's running to in, in order to fix their cars, in order to fix the fridge. In or and so you see what I'm saying? Everybody knows somebody like this, and they're born. They're just not... Um, there and it can be cultivated and developed but usually you see it in early childhood okay back to the university um uh, sadly so what are what are actually let's go back to the original thing when i told you about um with the survey with the, the large group of homeschoolers um so what are kids learning by by whining that it works right by complaining that it works how many people you know whine and complain and can't hold down a job so by whining and complaining, the kids are now learning that it works, especially when you're like, oh, it's okay, we'll go ahead and shorten your day, no problem. Um, that's not serving them long-term. It might be easier on you because you feel like you're gonna rip your hair out, and it might be easier in the moment, but when you're out of that moment, you need a better plan. Okay, so um, what does this mean? It means parents also feel they don't have the time or the skill they need in order to teach science. So there's something I can help you with, and all you have to do is go to www.superchargedscience.com easy, and I will do the teaching for you. In fact, you're gonna be amazed because your kids are gonna learn from me and my team of scientists and engineers, turn around and teach you science, and you don't even have to know a thing, and it uses like everyday parts and materials. Okay, so now we're back at the university. What else do we see? Today's university, there's more engineering jobs coming because we need more bridges, more dams, more um, all kind of, more tunnels, more buildings. We um, Things are being innovated and created like crazy. So th there's actually gonna be a huge number of engineers that are retiring. So the number of engineering jobs are gonna go sky high and skyrocket, which means they're gonna have very good salaries. If they already do, they're already dominating the salary list, which is why a lot of people pick that when they say, oh, I have to pick a major. Mm, this is the one I'm going to pick. So picking a major based on money is rarely going to be sustainable long term. So, okay. So um, just as a side note, most, uh, let's see, uh, Forbes magazine was reporting in on college majors for engineering. In the first year alone, just the college freshmen, they have a 60% drop rate. Six, zero, 60%. That's huge. <laughs> so 60%, six out of every 10 freshmen that come in are not gonna be engineering majors by the end of the year. 40% of them drop out entirely. And the 20% will switch to a different major. The top reason is because they felt they didn't have what it takes to be successful in their program. They were not ready for the rigorous engineering, what it takes to be an engineer. And they, they weren't curious, it wasn't their passion, they just picked it, they maybe picked it on, and they didn't wanna put what it took in order to put, the, put in the effort and energy that it would take to be successful in that major. The ability to stick with something, the diligence, the perseverance, the focus, that starts when they're young and when you're doing your homeschooling work. Now, I'm not talking about being a drill sergeant in front of your kids, not at all. So we're making it fun, we're making it innovative, we're on the floor with them, we're working with Legos, we're building with blocks, the toaster doesn't work, well, let's see if we can fix it, let's tear it apart, and let's both learn. Um, you're enjoying the process, you're showing your kids how fun it is, how exciting it is, and if you don't have a 
lot of time, you're encouraging them by providing them with hands-on experiences. So you're not giving them just a textbook to memorize, but you're giving them all kinds of unique, interesting, if, uh, interesting opportunities. Like, is there a VEX IQ event in, nearby? Um, that's something that's usually available to most folks in the United States. That's a robotics program that is for elementary school kids. Um, and so there are other levels that are above that as well. There are lots of different opportunities you can provide them with. Let me give you one right now using a sheet of paper. You ready? Okay. Now, what kid doesn't like to fly? Yeah, most kids want to fly, right? So I'm actually a pilot. I started flying when I was 17. And if I had known what it would be like to get a pilot's license, um, it's a lot of work. And I'm so glad that I did it. And I'm so glad I did it before I went to college because all that stuff I learned about aerodynamics and lift and drag and boundary layer theory and fluid mechanics, it all made sense because as soon as I was done with the university classes, I would go out to the airport and fly. And I would see this stuff and feel it in action. And so it was just, it was a part of the whole process. It wasn't just this itemized little box of things. Okay, so to get your kids interested, if they're curious anyway, this is how you can deal with it. Now, if they're whining and complaining, you know, they may just need a break. You know, go out for ice cream, and before you go, you can simply take out a, um, I'm sure you still have paper maps, if not, print one, um, and find your nearest ice cream store, or whatever they like, you know, a chocolate store or something like that, or maybe a park, and you say, hey, I have an idea, you know, some days I get like this too. I'll tell you what, here's a map, we're gonna be going here, and." Um, uh, or give them the address, and uh, if you can get us there, you know, I'll buy you an ice cream. And you just sit back, and your job is just to walk with them or to work the gas pedal and go where they go. No fair using GPS. Um, and now you're doing a lesson in cartography, you're doing a lesson in geography. Um, triangulation, you could bring that in there if your kids are older. Um, so if you're making it, um, you're making it fun, you're making it interesting, and happy kids are honestly a lot easier to teach. So if they're whining and complaining, might not be the best time to say, hey, it's actually time for that history lesson I know you've been looking forward to <laughs> when they really haven't. So um, nothing against history. I love history. But, you know, if it's not their thing, they're not going to want to do it, especially if they're not in a great mood. Okay, so I promised you something super simple. Okay, sheet of paper. So we're going to teach kids how to fly. We're going to teach kids why airplanes fly. So you just need a regular sheet of paper, and all you need to do is you say, all right, I got this idea. Check this out. This crazy redhead lady gave me this idea. Let's see if, let's see if it works. So I'm going to take the sheet of paper and I'm going to put it right under my lip, like that. And I'm going to, oh, actually, let's blow under it first. So I'm going to blow under it and you say, which way does it go? And the kids are going to be like, it goes up, of course. So you do it anyway. <gasps> You're right, it goes up. Now, let's put it right under the lip, just like that, and blow over the top of it. Now I say, which way is it going to go? Now most kids who are worth their salt are going to say it's going to go down, which is funny because it's already down. So it goes up that way, and it goes up that way. Huh. This is the process that will start their brains going, why is that? <laughs> so, so we're talking about how things slide, and there are like a dozen other experiments you can do in pressure. That's just one. And now you can start to play with this thing, and you can start to, here, all you need to do is um, you'd start to fold it. Here, if I do it in front of you so you can see it, you can fold it, and you start to fold it. You say, why is that? And then as you're folding, you start talking about air pressure. You say, you know what, take a breath for me. Now let it out. What is that? And they're like, nothing. You're like, it's not nothing. If it was nothing, you would die because you'd be in outer space. Now what is it? And it's like, well, it's air. Great, what is air? Solid, liquid, or gas? Well, 
it's a gas. Good. What flavor gas? And they're like, flavor? Yeah. Well, it's a lot of nitrogen in there, a lot of oxygen. What does nitrogen look like? What does oxygen look like? You can have a little discussion about atoms in there. Okay, I'm still folding here. Here we go. So I got one of these. Okay, and uh, so you start talking about air, and then you say, well, this really cool thing about air happens. Higher pressure always pushes, and that is the one concept that you're focused on for your lesson. And you don't want to focus on too many concepts because, you know, it's one, two, three, many, right? Too many. So just focus on one concept. So higher pressure pushes, and that's usually one kids don't cognitively understand. Like a lot of people can tell you like charges repel um, and unlike charges attract and that sort of thing. But higher pressure pushes is kind of a weird one. So you see higher pressure always pushes. So check this out. If we lower the pressure here, and we, uh, that will make the pressure feel higher here, it's gonna push. So when I'm blowing, here, let me get a bigger piece. When I'm blowing underneath, uh, on top, I'm creating a low pressure region here. If I've got low pressure here and high under the paper, the paper's gonna go up. On an airplane wing, I'm gonna have, as this um, curved wing is going down the runway, there's gonna be, as it goes, over the wing, it's got to go faster. It goes a little bit faster, and why is not important just yet. Um, it goes a little faster, so it's got faster here, slower air there. So this is higher pressure, so high. Um, I'm sorry, this is lower pressure, and so higher pressure pushes, so the airplane wing stays up. So if an airplane were just to stop, it would fall out of the sky. It needs to constantly be moving in order to have lift to counteract that gravity. Okay, so you just made a wing, and you can play with this wing. Okay, and what we did is we basically took the sheet of paper and we loaded the front with extra weight, right? Because there's more weight here now than is in the back. And you just hold the back of it and you release it. And you'll notice that it will, well, I should just let you do it, and it'll coast onto the ground. Um, and now you can make all kinds of other things. You can say, well, let's just make a paper airplane day out of today. Wouldn't that be cool? And the kids are like, yay! And then there's always like one kid who's like, I don't know what to make one. He starts bursting into tears. <laughs> you say, that's all right, I'll show you how. Here, and you're gonna make a hot dog fold just like that, okay? And then I'm gonna show you one more. Let's see if I can do this in midair. This is a great one because if you have gummy bears or raisins or little pieces of cereal or something, this is a great experiment to talk about center of gravity. Center of gravity is a point on an object where you could focus it all the way, it would be right there. You could balance it on a pencil tip. Okay, so here we go. So we've got one of these, and then we're gonna fold it down one more time, just like this. Okay, I'm gonna show you this one because you can turn this one into a stunt flyer. You can also turn it into a um, uh, jet, so something that goes fast, and you can also turn it into a glider, like a hang glider. Okay, so now we've got this. Okay, so we had, here, let's go back. So we, we had this and we folded the top triangles down. By the way, if you're just listening to me, you can um, see this uh, entire thing on Facebook again. Um, so for those of you just listening through a podcast, we are folding a paper airplane. Okay, and then we've got the top down. Now we're going to fold the flaps in just like that. And then we're going to lift the nose just a little bit. Okay, so it's going to lock that into place. For those of you who are familiar with it, this one's called the Nakamura Lock. Okay, because it kind of locked it in there without actually having a piece of tape. You don't need tape, you can add tape if you want. And now you can hang hula hoops from the ceiling. If you have a ceiling fan, you can put some little um, cotton balls or uh, things up there for them to knock down. And uh, so now you've got a folded paper airplane. And so you can talk about elevators, which are back here. We can pinch them up, we can pinch them down. This is gonna change how it flies. We can talk about dihedral. See how this is like flat, that's neutral. And we can have it up in a V, that's positive dihedral. 
And now we have a down V that's negative dihedral. That's going to change how it flies. Okay, and a pencil. Let's see if I have a pencil. No, but I have a straw. Okay, use what you got, right? So now let's find the center of gravity. Where do you think it is? And the kids might, you know, you know there. <laughs> so what you're going to do is you're going to balance it so the whole thing balances on the tip of a pencil tip is better than a straw, but you get the point. So now I've got my center of gravity, and you can mark that and whoop, and put a dot right there and write CG, center of gravity. That's important because if your center of gravity is in the wrong position with compared to center of pressure, your airplane won't actually fly. It'll start doing somersaults. Center of pressure, what's that? Huh. We're learning something as we're doing paper airplanes. This is a sheet of paper and we're having a real aerodynamics lesson. Okay, so now what we do is you go get mom's hair dryer and if it has a diffuser on the bottom, that's even better. If you don't, if you have like a box fan or something, you just need some column of air just going this way. So imagine I've got a big fan and it's got tons of air. What we're going to do is now you're going to put this airplane, just like it would normally be flying, in that blast of air and then you're going to come with your pencil and find the one place that it balances in that air blast. So it should look like it's levitating, except you've got this little um, uh, piece of pencil that's, um, this pencil that's gonna be holding it down. That point is gonna be your center of pressure. And wherever, so you can write CP, center of pressure. Center of gravity and center of pressure need to be in the right order. What order is that? I want you to figure that out. This is actually one of the biggest mistakes a lot of textbooks make. They'll say step one, step two, step three. Oh, by the way, and, and this is the result you should be getting. No scientist in their right mind is gonna do an experiment they already know the answer to. You've got to teach your kids to answer their own questions, to design experiments to answer their own questions. So you're gonna tell me what order the center of pressure and center of gravity is. If you need to change it, if it's not right, if you notice your airplane's doing flips and spins all over the place, how do you change it? In the center of pressure, you would change by changing the size of the, the, the wing. Center of gravity is easier to change. You would just put like a little, a little more weight here you put a paper clip on the end, or my personal favorite, you start handing out passengers. Passengers can be gummy bears, they can be M&Ms, they can be raisins, they can be anything you can think of. And actually I did this in, with my third level, uh, third year engineering students when we were doing fluid mechanics and dynamics. They had to actually get their passenger from here to there. Um, and, and they had all kinds of fun. They lost passengers. They forgot to put them in seat belts. <laughs> you could use tape. Um, and so you'll see by adding passengers and where those passengers need to sit in order to um, have a safe and happy and non-airsick bag flight is important too. Now real airplanes carry the fuel in the wings. So if you want to be even more um, accurate, you can put a little bit more weight in the wings to simulate the fuel. You can have all kinds of fun with us. So this is a simple lesson. Again, it did it cost very much? No, it's a sheet of paper. Uh, where was the focus? The focus was on answering questions. It was about showing kids interesting things that were unusual, giving them an application and giving them some open-ended experiences so they can do it themselves. So. If you like this and you want more stuff like this, if you want to teach your kids how to make a hologram just from the stuff in your recycling bin or teach them how to measure the speed of light using a bar of chocolate, um, I can do all of that and more with your kids. Just go to www.superchargedscience.com easy. As in, wow, that was really easy. So superchargedscience.com easy. I have a complete online 
homeschool science curriculum for K through 12, and it includes in high school as well. Um, so we have physics and chemistry and biology and earth science and life science and so much more. Um, everything is in there, and most of the program uses common everyday parts and pieces um, that you probably already have around the house. So there's a ton of content in there that you can check out. Um, it's taken me almost eight years to complete it. So <laughs> hopefully uh, there's there's over 2,500 different experiments and videos in there, as well as downloadable worksheets, exercises, quizzes, you name it, it's in there. And the best part about it is I get to work with your kids personally because it includes unlimited support for as long as you need it. You ever tried to read a textbook and you have a question? <laughs> you can't ask a question of the book, right? You can't, it doesn't answer you. So all of my students are, have full access to me and um, they ask questions and I'm, I get right back to them with their answers and help them along with their projects. So you're no longer on the hot seat for teaching science. Okay, so I hope this has been helpful. If your kids are whining and complaining, it's time to change things up, trying to, time to do something different. It's also time to step up and actually determine what your educational goals are for your kids so you know that you're taking the right steps towards that. And if you like this and want more, go to my Facebook page. Um, there are tons and tons of resources and videos to help you with this. Also go to my website, superchargedscience.com, and you can download my free homeschool guide as well as check out my homeschool program by going to superchargedscience.com easy. I will see you guys next time. Take care.